This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning. Everybody's running around trying to find their place, get settled, people coming in and out. Um, we want to get started right away, and the most important thing we want to do is pray, but we do want to at least say hi before we rush into what we're doing. My name is Scott Griswold, and this is Dee Casper. And we are working in different places. Actually just met about three weeks ago. We've been talking um, over the phone, both doing something similar that we're very interested in and excited about, which you obviously must be because you wouldn't be here when there's so many good seminars to be going to if it wasn't on your heart to you. And we're going to jump into that in just a moment. But our backgrounds, um, we just want to share very briefly. I've been in Cambodia and Thailand for about 16 years with my family. And so that's where my heart is. Love to go over there. Still get to go there about three times a year because I'm working with ASAP Ministries, which is an organization that raises money and prayer support for national missionaries, Cambodians, Thais, Vietnamese, Laotians, Burmese, Karen, right out there in Southeast Asia where most everybody you meet is Buddhist and doesn't, hasn't ever had a chance to know Jesus. So that's just a little, little bit of background. D. I, um, I worked in Southern Illinois with a church plant on a secular university campus and at the same time was helping to run a nonprofit organization that had interpreters in eight different languages for the families mm -hmm. of the international college students, for the migrant workers and so on that we interpreted for their medical visits, their legal visits and had lots of service projects geared towards the international population and we saw a bunch of wonderful ways to reach their hearts and so our burden this week is to just give you guys opportunities to know how to Take the heart that Christ is giving you and making you like himself and how to find ways to, to use that heart through means of service, through means of instruction, through means of preaching, teaching, and uh, whatever means that God gives you. Amen. Um, the most important thing of all is that the Spirit of God be speaking to you. So it may have nothing to do with something we say. It may be something like last night during Natasha's talk. It connected with what she was saying, but the Holy Spirit took something and just put it into my heart so deeply. Uh, and that's what he can do. Yeah. He has brought you for this reason. So whether you're here the whole time with us or you bop off to some other place, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the Spirit of God take you, prepare you, and send you back as his missionary, closely connected with him. So let's pray and let's, let's start that way. Father God, this is your time. It is holy time because you are here, you are present. But we need you in our hearts. We need that heart of flesh this morning, fresh and new. Our hearts are like stone, Father. We've been told that we're wretched, poor, blind, miserable, and naked, and that we don't even see it. We don't even know it. So this morning, we ask for the Spirit of God to lay our hearts bare before you, yes. and at the same time, to show us a huge vision of uh, what you want us to be, of what we are in Jesus Christ, what has happened for us at the cross, and what we can walk in, not just for ourselves, but for the entire world that you are loving, that you are caring about. So right now, Lord, we open our hearts and minds to the spirit of the living God. Take us, reveal to us the cross of Jesus Christ so that we can be the channel you need to finish the work in this world. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Whenever I go anywhere in Southeast Asia and beyond, I am just overwhelmed by the people that haven't been reached. I grew up thinking in California 
that I did not need to be a missionary. I had no interest in going overseas. I figured Jesus was everywhere because Mission Spotlight had shown us that the church was everywhere, all these baptisms, Jesus was about to come. And then he opened up my eyes to see what is still left. We have 4,073 completely unreached people groups. That's languages, cultures that do not have a significant enough amount of Christians to even give a serious witness. So when we look at that, it's just overwhelming. The other quote that goes with that, or the statistic, is that includes three billion people. That's almost half of the world that do not have the gospel witness. So when you look at that, okay, it's just statistics, but I think of it as this little girl's stray mouth. When we were in Cambodia, we decided to do a vacation Bible school. We didn't know how many kids would show up, and so we just took the church big open area on top of the roof and invited kids to come. And we had so many in the morning, we had 250 kids cram into there, that we decided to do one in the afternoon. Another 250 kids crammed in, as many as it could come. We were coming from our house, which was only like five minutes away, with our Jeep and another truck, just jamming the kids in because they wanted to come. And as we went back and forth, in the rush of it, Viasana, a guy who was working with me, at the, at, towards the end of the day, suddenly turned to me and said, Scott, where's my niece? Like, I would know out of 500 girls and boys, you know, running around. And he said, no, where is my niece? You see, in Cambodia at that time, there were a lot of kidnappings going on. There were children that would just disappear and they would never be seen again. One of the ladies in our church lost her daughter that way. And so he was panicked. He loved that little girl. Her parents didn't care about her. She was just a, you know, just another kid. But to Viasana, she mattered and he was really worried. Well, we dropped to our knees, barely, and jumped up, and we ran in every direction trying to find her, because she was gone. All the other kids had gone home, and she wasn't around. And we searched and searched for 45 minutes of panic, until finally Viasana found her way across the main street of town, down a little road, just wandering, lost. No clue where she would go or what would happen to her. He was so thrilled, even while he was shaking and crying and laughing, I could just feel the passion of Jesus Christ for every person. When we wake up around the world, every person, every day, Jesus sees every single individual and he loves them as if they were the only person in his life. So this is his passion. He is going to find a way to get the job done. The question is, how on earth is it going to happen? Well, he's got a plan. Right now we see two new legal immigrants entering the USA every minute. A million a year, that's legal. Probably about another million illegally. One in five Canadians is foreign born. So they have a huge amount as well. Uh, it's not just those that are migrating, it's those who are passing through. Over 160 million tourists, business travelers, or students pass through the USA every year. And this is not just America and Canada, this is every city in the world now. This huge migration that's going on and many times it is the top leaders of the country or the future leaders because the international students, we have about a million people in North America who are from overseas and will return to be the future leaders, some even prime ministers, presidents of their countries. So God has done something beautiful. Go ahead. The, uh, the strategy we've even been told in advance, clear back in the 1800s, evangelism page 570, we should be able to see in the multiplying opportunities to reach many foreigners in America a divinely appointed means of rapidly extending the third angel's message into all the nations of earth. God in his providence has brought men to our very doors 
and thrust them, as it were, into our arms that they might learn the truth and be qualified to do a work we could not do in getting the light before men of other tongues. There's too much in there to pack in right now, but write down Evangelism 570 and look and see the other things that are around it. But it is just absolutely amazing. As we look at it, this is part of God's final strategy. This is his plan in advance, this huge migration that people are stressed about and worried about and people are dying in. It's not only a plan that he has, but it's the next one there, that um, it is his plan to do it rapidly. It doesn't have to be three or four generations from now. It can be as we're praying and talking about in this generation. Um, not only rapidly, but to every nation of the earth. Now, we don't have all the unreached people groups here. There's still a need to go to places like Myanmar where there are 150 people groups in one country. The church has been there over 100 years, but there are still 50 people groups that have no Christians witnessing solidly in them. So there's still a need to go. But God is working to bring in many of those, and we have huge amounts of the nations coming right here um, that he can and will reach. You see, he's done this before. Think of Acts, the Pentecost, the experience there. There were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, Acts 2.5. And the Spirit came down, and they heard in their own language, and they went back to where they were, and they took the gospel there. That's what can happen Again, that's what he's planning. So when you're praying for the Holy Spirit, stretch that in your mind to what does that mean? It means what it meant in Acts chapter 2, that he will make you, who is one of his disciples, who he has said to you, take my gospel to every nation. It's not just for missionaries, some missionary in your mind. It is for everyone who calls himself a disciple of Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, it can happen. Go ahead, Dee. This is a quote that I heard in a sermon at GYC a few years ago. I wasn't here, but I listened to it. Uh, the David Ashton chair. I think it was in 2003. The sermon was called Stir What You Got. But he said, the greatest enemy of present action is future ambition. Someday I will do something for the Lord. Someday I will go and do mission work. Someday I will do something. But, but first, I need to whatever, right? I need to get my education. I'd like to get married first. And you know, me, just take a year off of marriage because it said that for the Israelite army, you know, take a year off first and then go do something. But the problem with that is with that mentality, when does something actually end up getting done? Because you start your schooling, but then you have school debt. Well, do I, do I, I'll pay off my school debt and then I'll go do mission work, but then you have a family. Now you have children. The greatest enemy of present action when it comes to mission work is future ambition. But God, she says, in his divinely appointed means, is bringing people to our very doors. There are people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people in this country. They're in your communities as migrant workers, as international college students, as refugees. These people need the gospel, she says, and they can even do a work in their own land that we could not do. But they need to hear the gospel. So don't let your own ambitions end up causing a hindrance to the gospel, and it's going to all nations in the earth. Lay those plans before Jesus. Do you want me to go ahead? So how is it going to happen? And, and in, in what way? I mean, when you walk down the street and you see a Buddhist monk in an orange robe and a shaved head, do you feel like you could just go up and start sharing Jesus with him? You know, it can be really intimidating. You see someone in a turban and you think, oh, I don't know what I'd say to him. Um, 
we have these barriers in our minds, let alone they have barriers in their hearts, their minds, their preconceived ideas of Christianity. It's just a whole lot of things that we can just say, wait a minute, immigrants, refugees, international students, I don't know where to go with this. And so that's why we have these six seminars, these six parts, to break it down. It is not difficult. We don't really need six. We just need the spirit of the living God. But as the Holy Spirit comes, he has specific ways of working. And there's specific things of the gospel and the three angels' messages that especially fit Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, Jews, postmodern, secular people. And that's what we want to unpack with you, to be able to say together and plan together to actually wrestle and talk about what if when you go back to your city, to your university, to your high school, what if you stepped out and began to do something? What would you do? And how can it be truly a fantastic success for the glory of the Lord? So we want to start today with the most important thing, the heart, the center of it all, and that is the cross of Christ. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. I really struggled with that for six years in Cambodia because it seemed to me that every time we talked about the cross of Christ, there was a blank stare. It was like a, wait a minute. One of my friends actually said to me, I went into a Vietnamese temple when I was during the war and I fled into Vietnam and I saw in that Catholic church a big statue of, of a man mangled on this piece of wood and I saw people kneeling down and worshiping and I said, how can anybody worship somebody with such bad karma? Hmm. And I said to my friend, didn't they explain to you that Jesus was perfect, that he'd never done any sin his whole life? And he said, yeah, but I figured it must have been in a previous life that he'd done something terrible. Mm. So there's confusion, there's misunderstanding, and I, and I struggled to say, what is it about the cross of Christ that's actually attractive to a Buddhist? Today we want to unpack that, and I want Dee to be able to share with you his own walk in the deeper revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ. How many people here are familiar with the debt clock? I promise I won't get um, political on you this morning. How many people are familiar with the U.S. debt clock? There's actually a website. Uh, please don't look right now because you'll get terrified and distracted. But um, the U.S. debt clock is basically a website that lists the current debt that the United States government has right now. And it just, it's just doing this. It's in the, the trillions. I can't count that high. I don't have enough piggies and hands to do that. It's a huge number. And it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. But I want you to imagine with me here this morning... Imagine the debt clock of every sin that has ever been committed from the fall of Adam and Eve all the way until current day and recognize that all sin is deserving of death, right? The wages of sin is death. Now, that's one sin. That, that could be the sins that we classify as maybe smaller sins, the sin of indifference to the suffering of the world, the sin of selfishness. But imagine now the composite weight of the guilt of every sin that ever has been committed and ever will be committed until the second coming of Christ. And imagine that weight being heaped upon the shoulders of one man at one point in time. Your Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane endured a weight that no human can ever understand. A lot of times what I fear is happening with the presentation of the cross is there's a high emphasis on the physical suffering of Jesus. But we don't talk about what actually killed Jesus, the weight of the sin of the world. That debt clock is it's terrifying. If you stood before your Savior for one sin that you've committed, before a holy God and a holy law, you would be rendered 
incapacitated. And yet Jesus faced down the gun barrel of every sin that has ever been committed and ever will be committed. I can see it in your eyes now. It does something, doesn't it? It's important. It's far different than just some man dying a physical death. A friend of mine mentioned something that he had a guy come up to him and say, hey man, why should I put my faith in Jesus? And he mentioned a story about a guru that he had who went through worse physical torture than what Jesus went through. And the guy was weeping as he told the story to this preacher. It wasn't a preacher then, it was a new convert. And he said, look, what my guru went through is way worse than what your Jesus went through. So why should I put my faith in him? <laughs> he didn't know what to do with it as a new convert. He always thought it was the physical death of Jesus that was it. But what makes Jesus' death more significant than the death of any martyr in history for a good cause? What makes his death more significant than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., than Mahatma Gandhi? What's the difference? The weight of the sin of the world. The unmingled wrath of the Almighty God was poured out upon his son. That's the difference. People can resonate with that. That's different. Now, when I came to understand that, I realized that in the midst of Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, he not only had this awful agony going on within his own heart and feeling the guilt. Jesus has never felt guilt his entire life, ever, for any sin, word, thought, or deed. He's never felt it, but now he's feeling the shame and the guilt and the inward condemning pointing of the finger for every sin that's ever committed, yes, but he's also having his emotions fail him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. Nothing's making sense to him. He doesn't want to go through with it in his flesh. And at the same time, the only constant that he's had on this earth is the presence and the approval of his Father. And even that is now gone in his eyes. Now we're told that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was there, but Satan had heaped this dark cloud of impenetrable darkness upon our Savior, and he couldn't see through the portals of the tomb, we're told. That gospel does something to the human psyche. Because we all can resonate with shame. We all can resonate with feelings of rejection. We all can resonate with these things, yet Jesus went through that. Jesus can relate to your feelings of shame, of fear, of rejection. All of it. That's a Savior that you can unashamedly proclaim before any nation, tribe, tongue, or people. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's a power of God. That's it. There's no reason to be afraid of that. And when you know this truth and the price that Christ paid for you and the value he paid for you, it makes standing before people who have different views than you a lot less intimidating because you know that what you found is the only thing that can help those people. What Natasha talked about last night, understanding this is what does that. That's what awakens heart. We're told in the spirit of prophecy that it is only by love that love is awakened. Find me a better love than that. You won't. That's it. So this is what people are looking for. This is the everlasting gospel. But what do we do with this now? How do we take this everlasting gospel and apply it to our Buddhist neighbor? How do we apply it to the lady we keep seeing at the library uh, who wears this, this head covering that we don't fully understand and even maybe we view as some form of oppression or something else? How do we handle that? This is the beauty of the cross, the relatability of Jesus' experience. We're going to go through some steps now that explain that. We'll let Scott go through those. <clears throat> part, of, 
part of what happens with sharing with people of other religions is that we take one little piece of the cross that is really important to us, and that becomes everything. For some people, it's forgiveness of sins, that that's just, that was so meaningful to them, so important, so essential, because they felt so guilty. So that's all that they proclaim about the cross. But to the Buddhist person who's saying, what do you mean, you Christians? You, 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 you say God can forgive your sins, and you just keep sinning. And We look at the West, and it's just so immoral, but you call yourself a Christian country. And mm. The idea of forgiveness of sins, that's just, that's terrible. Seriously, I mean, that, that just closes the door many times when we share that aspect of the cross with certain people because they're coming at it from a different direction. So that's where standing back and looking at the cross and beginning to find out the many, many different aspects of what really happened in Jesus' death and resurrection, we can begin to connect with people who have different struggles in their lives. So let's just take seven different human conditions, different ways that people are, look at them very briefly, and we'll have a study guide at the end that we'll hand out that you can explore it more deeply on your own, because that's what will make it really meaningful. But for a moment, just, just a glimpse a little bit. The first one, let's go back to the one before that. The first one is the incredible grief, the brokenness and suffering that people are going through everywhere. And they can look just fine on the outside, but almost every person has met pain and grief in some deep and significant way. And I have found that when I begin to share the story of Jesus on the cross, including the physical suffering, because it is significant, it is painful and powerful to simply tell the story of Jesus. But as you begin to move through it and say, there was Jesus with his best friends, and he looks at them and he says, one of you tonight is going to sell me for money. Hmm. Another of you is going to turn and betray me, to deny me and say, you don't even know me. And every single one of you is going to leave me. And these are his best friends. I mean, we just read these stories, but I mean, the tears are there in Jesus' eyes. And then it happens, just like he says, and his heart is ripped open. You know, we're told that, that Jesus' beard was ripped right about the time that Peter denied him. And it didn't hurt near as much as seeing his, his close, one of his closest friends do that. So when people hear that and you say to them, Jesus chose this. He walked into this knowing what was coming. Why? Because he wanted you to know that you have someone in heaven who understands. Mm. He understands. And then you, you can go through the rest. I mean, Jesus was stripped naked. They abused him. They beat him. They spit on him. They mocked him. When you meet somebody, I think of, I think of my friend in Cambodia, Julie, my wife and I, were there with a group of pastors and wives. And after we had shared some things, the wife came up to us afterwards, and she began to share with us how she was in a home that did not want her. And so her parents gave her away to the aunt and uncle in the same town. So she grew up in a home, seeing her family across the place, being told by her aunt and uncle, you're too stupid to go to school. You need to stay home and do the cleaning. And she grew up that. Then she was molested. She was, she went through the war times. Anyway, she had so much pain she was carrying that she said, I know what you're saying. I found the love of Jesus. I know he cares about me, but what about this pain? And we didn't know what to say. And we just began to pray and to share with her about Jesus on the cross. And she began to cry, and she began to weep, and she began to say, he's telling me I am his daughter. I am not shameful anymore. It doesn't matter if I'm stupid. He can give me his wisdom. Yeah. Every pain that anybody goes through, as we lift up the cross of Christ, 
they can find healing and hope and the love of Jesus. Amen. We're going to tie these into the different world religions in a moment, but first we have to feel them in the context of the pain of people. Many others are struggling with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness that, that rises up out of those difficulties that they've faced because they don't know what to do with it. They, they haven't found healing. Jesus tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 16, incredible truth about what was happening at the cross. You see, he takes our sins there. And when he takes our sins and he separates us from that, then it brings us together. Isn't that amazing? That anger, that unforgiveness, as he forgave his enemies, but he did more than just give us an example of forgiveness. It says he actually has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. In Cambodia, there is a church now where Khmer Rouge soldiers, the communists who did the incredible genocide in the 70s, are now worshiping next to government soldiers who also have become Seventh-day Adventist Christians. This is the power of Jesus to take away the bitterness, the anger, the ugliness, and bring people together. Another just simple human condition is distorted views of God. People don't see, they don't understand who he really is. They may think he burns people in hell forever. They may think all kinds of different things. Um, think of some of the Hindu gods that you've read about, the different people, the different ones. Um, so part of the cross is simply and clearly showing the Father's love. Um, Dee has shared beautifully that Jesus did not know if he was going to rise from the dead. That, that is a concept that many times really has not connected or clicked. That when Jesus was carrying our sins, he didn't just die the normal death. Or we wouldn't die that, right? He died the second death from which there is no hope of resurrection. And so on the cross, he made a decision looking at that and he said, I'm not coming down from this cross even if I never exist again because I want you in heaven. Amen. That I've known since I was 16 and it changed my life. But last night while Natasha was sharing, somehow the Holy Spirit did something deeper. I was sitting there saying, oh, you know, I was a pretty good kid. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. But I don't feel that love like Mary had for having been forgiven so much. And suddenly in that moment, the Holy Spirit just said to me, Scott, you don't understand. It was your sin that caused Jesus to experience hell on the cross. Your sin is big enough to separate somebody from the Father for eternity. You would be without me. I did die that for you. I was willing to, and I did die for you in that place. There is a depth of love in the cross that people can see as we slowly share and open their eyes to see it. And in general, for those that simply are looking for something, they may not believe in God at all, they may not be interested in religion a bit, but they are attracted by morality, by true compassion, by true love. And as you simply share the story of Christ, weaving in the story of how he, he looked at his mother while he was in pain and took care of her, while he sympathized with the women along the way, he cared for the thief on the cross, just telling the story will draw and attract people. 
Fearful of evil spirits? Is that really a human condition? It is a huge reality in the mountains where we walk in Myanmar and Cambodia and Thailand. This is life and death for the people who know there are spirits out there and who live their lives to appease them or to use them. Um, that's not true in America. I don't think that's so anymore. We have so many that have migrated here and we have so many young people now who do not know the living God and are searching for powers. The media has done such a good job of showing how you can access magic, both black and quotes white magic, that there is a huge amount of people now, uh, incredible growth in paganism, Wiccan belief, witchcraft, various forms. And so today we are dealing with a people who are afraid of spirits or who are trying to use spirits. So what about the cross? The story of the great controversy that we as Seventh-day Adventists especially have can be told in many ways, but there at the cross, we are told that Jesus faced every single evil spirit in the entire world. Can you imagine? They, they left America and Thailand, the different places alone, to come in there because they knew if Jesus wanted the cross, they were doomed. And yet he fought them all off and overcame every one of them so that we will never meet a single spirit that hasn't already been smashed and overcome. Amen? So this is part of what we have to share. Let's see. Um, but there's more. I think of um, a time when Josiah, my son, and I were on the train coming down from Chiang Mai to Bangkok in Thailand. And I was busy preparing a talk to share with the, the Thai pastors about how to reach out to Buddhists. And he was busy being friendly. And he'd walk wandering around, met up with a, with a Buddhist monk who was sitting a couple rows, a couple seats up. And they started talking and Josiah shared with him a little bit from a little book he had. And he was pretty little at that time. And the man was interested. He, he took interest maybe just because he was young, but for whatever reason. And then finally Josiah slipped up and he said, Daddy, I think you better come now. I think you better take over. And so I got up with him and I went over and sat down and we began to talk. And immediately I realized this young monk was truly open spiritually. He was very interested. And he asked me that question, why? Why do Christians say that God can forgive sins? That seems so immoral. You just keep on sinning and that's what Christianity is about. You get to be forgiven and go right into heaven. And I began to share with him that at the cross, when Jesus literally took your sins and my sins, because he exists in all eternity, he can actually literally take my sins, that he died with those, that as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 and 17, so that we could die with him and no longer live for selfishness, but live for him who died for them and rose again. If we are in Christ, we become a new creation in which the sins pass away and we now live like Jesus. That's, that's a part, another aspect of the cross, that it's not just about forgiveness, it is also about destroying selfishness. And that's everything a Buddhist is seeking. They are trying to deny good desires and bad desires, trying to overcome all impurities of thought, mind, and heart so that they can be free and finally escape reincarnation, escape the cycle of karma. So in Jesus, we have the answer for what they're searching for. And of course, finally, we have forgiveness. I haven't been meaning to put that down, just to put it in light of the other incredible beauty that we have to share. But let's look at what this can mean to some of the other world religions. 
So in okay. summary, the, yes, this, go ahead. Yeah, in summary, the seven things that we can see in the cross, what we've covered now, is the fact that Jesus bore my pain, that he removes unforgiveness from our hearts, that he can reconcile us to the Father, that he demonstrates true compassion, that he overcame evil spirits, that he frees from selfishness, and that he forgives sin. Now, we're going to show a picture of just different people groups, and Scott's going to give some background as to what these people groups believe, and we're going to ask you, what are the answers that we can give them directly from the cross according to what they actually believe from this list here, okay? Okay. Let's just think about Jews for a moment. That's probably one of the easiest ones because we share so much in common, right? We have the Old Testament scriptures as we call them, and for at least a committed Jew, though there are many, many millions of secular Jews who really have lost faith, who are not practicing their religion much at all. Um, but think of what they have gone through over the centuries, the genocide in Germany and beyond. Um, the pain as they look back of the centuries, 2,000 years and more than that, of struggle and suffering in this world in which many of them have cried out, where is God in all of this? How on earth would you share the cross? And what aspect do you think would especially be appealing to Jews? Let's speak up as loud as you can so we can hear. So we want you to be thinking and processing so that when you meet people, you'll have an idea to be, where to begin. As the Savior, okay? In what way and how, how, can, how can that connect for, for Jewish people? Mm -hmm. So they're looking for meaning, and what in the cross would help them to find meaning for the suffering they have experienced? Yes. Okay, so Jesus bearing our pain, so that part of the cross where they actually can see him going through much of what they have actually experienced. All right, okay. Anything else? That's excellent. Yes. Hmm? Wow. Okay. So she said in, in the sense that Jesus was innocent in his suffering, that he had done nothing wrong and yet these things came on them, can be a close connection between what many of the Jews feel in a sense of innocence, that this is not fair, that this should not have happened to them, that they can connect with the innocent suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Anyone else? I'm sure there is much there, and I'm sure that I, be I believe many have found Daniel chapter 9 as a powerful, incredible way to show the prophecies from the scriptures that Jews hold in common, showing the actual time of Jesus' ministry and death uh, spelled out there in incredible detail that they can find and come to believe in the Savior. I know many Jews have come to Christ through that picture of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 and the actual timing in Daniel 9. Let's move on to another one for a minute. Baha'i. I'm not as familiar with the Baha'i religion, but I know that it, it started in the 1800s. In 1817, a specific individual was born in Iran, and as he, he grew up, I can't say his name properly, you can look it up, but he, he has led towards a religion that basically says, all religions are good, 
All of them, of these religious leaders, were ordained by God, raised up to lead, Muhammad, um, Jesus, Moses, various ones were raised up, and that we are to come together in to seek one goal together of universal peace. We are to be living in harmony. We are to promote the right, good moral values that we all share in common, to put aside violence, to put aside our differences, and come together. So how would you share about specifically Jesus on the cross in a way that you think would be especially attractive to them? Anybody? Yes. Amen. Amen. So, okay, I'm, I'm trying to paraphrase and, and restate it. So if I don't quite say it, you can always put up your hand again. She was saying that Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. So there's actually a unifying power in him that will do that. That's really a beautiful thought on that. I hadn't ever put that together in my mind, of the unity that text actually speaks about. Beautiful. Someone else? Yes. Okay, good question. If somebody says that's what your Bible says. Um, all right, so what do you say when they just say, well, that's what it says in your Bible, so you, know, you can believe that if you want, but you know, my scripture is different, or I don't believe the Bible. Um, sometimes there is a need to take time to demonstrate why we trust the Word of God. You know, and there's defi definitely different reasons from prophecy, archaeology, uh, various the, the unity of the scriptures that we can explain. But often in a moment like that, you don't have time to talk. You don't have time to go through all those steps. And you can simply say, you're right. That's what my scriptures say. So you would have to check it out for yourself to see if that's really true. But can I share with you why it has made a difference for me and how it has helped me? And we'll talk about that tomorrow. We have four steps, to, not tomorrow, next hour. We'll be talking about four simple steps that you can share your faith with anybody of any background. And the, we'll get to that one. But that testimony is powerful, very powerful. Any other thoughts on the Baha'i? Yes, in the back there. I wonder if you, will it work to take the microphone to where they are? Or we want to try that or not? Maybe not. Go ahead and just speak up. Okay, excellent. So the, this, the taking away of selfishness is what brings us together. Amen. Okay. All right. So the reconciling to the Father, the drawing, should be drawing us together. Mm. 
Amen. 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 That's excellent. Um, in, in fact, I've met Buddhists who, who have said to me, when I am angry at somebody, when I am upset, I simply think about Jesus on the cross. And I was blown away to hear that. that they, and they say, and my anger just melts away. There is something so beautiful in the story that it can be very attractive. Um, when I think of Muslims, you know, there's such a variety of thought and such a variety of Muslims right now. It's just such a hot thing in our minds. But the, the understanding of God is what I've been trying to explore in understanding what do they really believe about God. And, and, of course, there's a huge variety in their thinking, but from the Quran, you have a picture of a God who is holy, who is the creator, who's the only sustainer of life, who is the redeemer, the forgiving one. There's just much in common that we have with Muslims from the Quran. At the same time, those who have studied carefully say, the picture of an intimate father is not there. It is not, it is not presented in the same way. And even the forgiveness or the love it's spoken of as the love for those who love him, not the love for those who are evil, those who hate him. That's, that's a, it's a different in the presentation. So though some may understand that, there are many, many who do not understand that aspect of God. In light of that, what would you share from the cross with the Muslim? Stirring? Yes, go ahead. Okay, so the demonstration of his love. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's, even if there's somebody argumentative who says, you know, Jesus really didn't die on the cross, as most Muslims believe that God took Jesus up to heaven from the cross and he did not die. But he, to say to them simply, I know that's a common belief, uh, but the Quran encourages people to read the scriptures. And so let's just hear what the story says for a moment. And just as if it were true, listen to, to the beauty of the story and to share it and to let the Holy Spirit move to reveal the love of God through the cross as God intended. So uh, I'm sure there's more we can explore. Yes, go ahead. The word Islam means submission. Mm -hmm. and the cross is the ultimate act of Wow. Amen. Where can we get the full Bible study on surrender, Islam meaning surrender, and this is the ultimate picture of surrender to the cross, to God. Okay. If you can share that with me later, and I can put that. It, yeah, we have a website. Well, you'll see it quite often. It's there at the bottom, reachtheworldnextdoor.com has a lot of resources, and we have a section on reaching world religions that we're just adding more things to. So we can try and put that there. Let's go on to the next one here. Secular and atheistic people. Is there anything in the cross, if they have no belief in God, no belief in maybe even the Bible, that you would share if you were sharing and you actually got to talk about the cross together? Yes. Uh-huh. That even though they don't really believe in uh, the existence of a God, they do seek justice and the goodness. And we can share how, like, through Christ, through God, the 
ultimate establishment of the law, like is we are more able to tell the good from the bad, and we are more able to perform in justice manner. Amen. Amen. So whether or not you get into the philosophical philosophical side of it, being able to share the beauty, the morality, the character of Christ on the cross can be extremely attractive even to those who may not believe um, in God in the same way. Any other thoughts? One in the back there. Amen. I think you all heard most of that. That it's powerful to connect it with the scientific reality of forgiving other people, letting go of bitterness, anger, hatred makes an incredible impact on us, not only emotionally and socially, but physically. And that this is not only a beautiful for forgiveness model in Christ, but as he forgives our sins and empowers us to forgive others, our entire lives are impacted. Share something For me, when it comes to the secular audience, particularly, it's not so much that there's a problem with the life that Jesus led and the type of person he was. It's what everybody is doing in the name of Jesus that they have a problem with, right? Bad religion, holy wars, all of this foolishness has been done in the name of Jesus. One of the things that you can do is help to disassociate what people are doing in his name from who he is. And all seven of these are discussing what type of person he was and what he prescribed for the people who followed him. And in distinguishing these two things, I found a lot more success than anything else in dealing with secular skeptical audiences and helping to separate who God is from what people say he is like by what they're doing. Uh, they're very pragmatic in the way in which they view that. Um, you want to go ahead and... Yeah, we don't have to cover all of these. We've touched on different ones. Animists, pagans, spiritists, where would we connect that to? What's that? Power over evil spirits. That's kind of an obvious one. But again, I want to remind you, this is a basic stereotype generalization that we're talking right now, right? You're going to meet a Buddhist who maybe has no interest at all in religion, who's not practicing their Buddhism at all, but they are interested in morality. Or you may meet someone who says they're into witchcraft, but really all that they're concerned about is the latest movie. So it's knowing the people, it's understanding what they're dealing with and sharing. Buddhists we've talked a lot about already and connecting them especially with that power of Jesus over selfishness and that ability to make us actually compassionate. And I, I wanna just conclude this piece of it with the, the, the reality when we think of the fact that a Hindu believes that absolutely everything that they have ever done will be rewarded, either the good or the bad. 
and with the possibility of entering hell for a time, going to heaven for a time, and then being reincarnated back in some life form, good or bad, depending on what you have done, with no possibility of forgiveness. It's not significant. So when we think of applying the cross to that, I think of the man who was sitting there at church that I had never seen before in Thailand. And as he was sitting there, um, he had just walked in, he had shuffled in because he'd had a stroke, about half of his body was not working well. And he was sitting there, when the sermon was over, a, a lady came and approached him. She was a lady who I knew was not very good at being tactful with people, it was often in your face and just ready to share whatever, regardless. And so I thought, oh no, he's just come. This is his first time. She doesn't know about how to approach Buddhists and you know, I'm just thinking these wrong thoughts. And the Spirit of God began to move and she just shared straight on with him the story of Jesus on the cross. And he began weeping, just crying. And I thought, what's going on? What's happening? And he gave his heart to Jesus. And we just said, I don't understand what's happening. But the Holy Spirit was moving. Well, we found out this man had been a pimp. He had been a trafficker of children. I can't imagine almost anything worse. To be able to take children and to put them in that kind of abuse is so horrific and so worthy of condemnation and death. But the graciousness of Jesus is for even people like him, and he could see that. He believed his stroke was part of the punishment that had come on him and that much, much more was coming. And to hear the truth that Jesus had the power to forgive his sins and give him heaven as a gift was absolutely phenomenal, way beyond anything he could ever have imagined his entire life. That is the gospel that we have to share. So whatever has been stirring in your mind, whatever is stirring in your heart right now, I want us to just have a moment of quiet. Um, we still have about 10 minutes before we conclude here. I want you to have a moment to just say, Jesus, what piece of the cross were you wanting me to catch a deeper glimpse of today? And how will that impact how I share with other people? When we're done with that quiet, we'll just have a, a prayer. And then we have a couple of handouts we want to make sure you have before, before we go on and take a break. So let's, let's just pause for a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and then I'll, we'll, we'll lead in prayer in a moment. Father, as we reflect upon the beauty of the cross and the experience of Jesus from Gethsemane onward and what was endured on our behalf, even the hardest hearts can't help but think that maybe there is hope for me, maybe there's something better for me. Father, I thank you that this story has the ability to transform all lives wherever someone may find themselves in their experience. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse from all sin, past, present, and future. Lord, I pray today that you would forgive the sins of all of us who are in this room and whoever may listen to this seminar, that those sins would be forgiven today, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us the burden that you have 
for these beautiful people of other cultures. That they would recognize the value that they have in Christ because of the way in which we treat them and look at them and speak to them. Lord, I pray that love for others would continually grow in our hearts today. That a love for self would fall by the wayside. Jesus, we cannot do that, but you can and you long to. And so we give you permission today to make us like you. Amen. In character, in heart, Amen. and in action. Lord, I pray that what begins in this seminar today would be fanned into flame in recognizing the needs of the peoples in this country that you have brought here in your divine providence, that we would not ignore what you have done a moment longer, and that we would commit in our hearts today that we cannot allow this to continue, that there is a work to be done and here that can impact the world. Thank you for giving us the pen of inspiration and for scripture and for wonderful testimonies of your faithfulness in doing this type of work. And we pray that you'd bless every meeting that goes on from here and bless those who've been present today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.